This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. My name is Bob Asman and I'm your host for our podcast series. And I'm pleased today to welcome Karen Black to our podcast. Welcome, Karen, and and please introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you, Bob, for inviting me today. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I own a company for over 25 years called Insight Edge, and our focus is leadership development. So it includes coaching leaders, developing teams, and conflict resolutions are three of my key buckets and all the things that go into leadership development. Thanks, Karen. And, and that's a great place to start. As, as we know, the customer experience profession, as many professions and professionals have been uh, impacted in some way, positive or negative, by the current uh, pandemic. And then just in general, customer experience professionals are always challenged about getting the message through, about great sponsorship from executive leadership and, and other challenges that they face in trying to get the message of CX permeated throughout their organization. So I think leadership development is a great place to start. And what are your thoughts about this? How how does a CX professional go about ensuring that they're developing as a leader on an ongoing basis? Well, I think it always helps to have a coach. I'm a big believer in coach and periodically assessing your strengths and weaknesses. So I think that's very important to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. And then finding resources to support it. So for example, there's a lot of great books out there, one of which I'm going to mention for teams. There's um, a resource I found in the last year, which has really been helpful for me, and it's called Soundview Summaries. And what it does is bring summaries of brand new books. So there's a membership fee, you join it, and then you're constantly getting in your library summaries of new books. I think it's about taking, there are so many right now in the COVID-19 environment, there are so many classes and free classes available on leadership development, coaching, available to leaders today. So I think that's all. But I think foremost is individual leaders need to have a commitment. And it doesn't matter if you're a customer experience professional, but need to have a commitment to their own growth. It starts there. So that's interesting that it starts with a commitment to their own growth. You've said a lot of there, and thanks for passing along those resources too. What might a commitment look or sound like that a leader would make, Karen? Um, they would certainly know, as I said earlier, their strengths and weaknesses, and also 
you hear them saying, hey, I want to grow. I want to develop. I want to be a better leader. Or even I want to continue to go up in the organization. And this is what the organization needs based on their culture, their values, their norms. And these are the areas that I need to continue growing to match up with those things. Interesting. So you talk about uh, the organization and let's say one of our leaders uh, has a team, maybe it isn't a large team, but it's a team nonetheless uh, reporting to them. That's one scenario. And then the other scenario is oftentimes customer experience professionals have teams that are cross-functional in mm-hmm. nature. So they, mm-hmm. they don't report to them, but they need to work in a collaborative environment. What mm-hmm. How do they address that? That that can be a struggle when you're going across quote unquote silos in the organization, right? Absolutely. I think within this day of COVID, when more people are operating virtually than we've ever seen in the corporate environment before, I think it starts with communication. And there's a couple ways I see that ongoing regular communication with the team you oversee or even the cross-functional team, and even having those one-on-one conversations. I used to call them in my leadership role, I used to have one-on-one wrap sessions. And the wrap sessions were really designed for the individuals to come to me to talk about what's going on, where can I support them and that kind of thing. So that you're always aware of where your team is. I also think whether you're working cross-functionally or no matter what your individual team is, they have to be clear about what is their role? What are you trying to accomplish? What are the expectations for this team? Because that is one of the things people assume that individual team members know what the role of the team is or what their function is or what the expectations are. But in too many organizations, that's not true. And then making sure you find ways to communicate. So in this virtual environment, finding the time to have ongoing consistent meetings and communications. And one of the things, especially as teams get to know each other, you know, you can do some fun little things like, you know, uh, tell me something I don't know about you, but there's little things you can do during the meetings at the beginning of the meetings to really help people get to know each other. Or even one of the things that I can say this in my years of work with organizations is that really acknowledging and honoring successes is one thing teams don't do enough of. And even something as simple as periodically taking time at the beginning of one of those virtual meetings to just share what some of those successes are that the team has had. And it keeps them moving forward. I I so ascribe to the celebrating successes. It's so important and so often overlooked, as you said. I love that technique of starting meetings that way. Um, And and they don't always have to be the huge successes, right? They could be some things that just matter to one person or, or one department. Absolutely. And I think that's why when people think of successes, they think of, oh, the big one, you know, we just increased maybe productivity or whatever it was, was they're measuring. But there are lots of little successes that get them to those much bigger goals. And so, Karen, you also talked about the challenges that teams have and not understanding their roles, responsibilities, goals, accountabilities. 
you've, you've got a lot of experience in this area. Why do you think that is? And what are some ways that leaders can overcome that? I mean, obviously it's to just define the roles and responsibilities, but overcoming that challenge of, of just not having people understand what they are or what they're supposed to do. I think number one is communicating consistently and in multiple ways that this is what our goal as a team is. So I think that's number one. I also think when you're having your one-on-one -on -one discussions, if you should choose to do it, it's kind of circling back. And one of the things I know is that there are different styles in organizations. And there are styles in organizations that need to understand the process and structure of what the team needs to do. There are, there are other styles that they have to understand the why of what the team does. If they truly do not understand the why, the likelihood of getting them on board is really compromised. And then, you know, you have other people that go, okay, this is what we're doing. So it's also about being aware of the individuals you work with and their styles. You know, I love that characterization. You talk about styles. Um, you know, the culture of the organization, the environment in which people are working within an organization, even in a virtual world, uh, how do those vary from organization to organization? Do you, do you see organizations kind of grouping into certain styles that you see uh, in the work that you do? Um, it really depends. Every organization is so different, Bob. So I hate to make a generalization because I have to tell you, I have seen organizations that are technology-based that you would have thought that they're more process-oriented and that kind of thing. And yet a lot of their leadership has a lot of dominance. So I would tend to shy away from making a generalization. Fair enough. I understand. Now, as you talk about um, styles, how do you determine what the styles are? So if I was a leader coming into a new organization, uh, how could I be sensitive to those different styles? I think it's a really good point that you've made. Well, I think part of it is educating yourself. For example, I use a profile that I've been using for years called the Everything Disk Management Profile or the Everything Disk Workplace Profile that actually lets people get a good sense of their own style. And actually, particularly in a virtual environment, that is a really great thing because it can be a part of the virtual conversation as to style and who the styles on the team are and how will they impact the team. So it's a great way to do that. And by you educating yourself and becoming aware, you can begin to at least get a sense of who maybe some of the styles on your team are and then adjust accordingly. Listeners, you're listening to Karen Black talk about leadership development and coaching. Uh, uh, keep listening because she's dropped so many tidbits in our first few minutes. It's really great uh, on this podcast of all things considered CX. So Karen, what might you tell a leader? Let's say I've done the DISC profile. And by the way, I, I would agree. I think they're excellent. I've done the DISC profile. I've, I've debriefed with my team. Now it's kind of like the time for the rubber to meet the road, so to speak, is and, and making this stick, you know, making it happen well beyond the initial engagements that we have with trying to get our team, get ourselves educated as leaders and get our teams up to speed. How do we make this stick? Well, 
Bob, that is such a great question because that's what I see happens in an organization. They rally behind it. They're excited about it. And again, it's like putting it, making sure that you're talking about it, using it in your day-to-day -day conversations, in your team meetings. So it stays present and in front of you. Makes total sense. Now, Karen, we, we, we have to talk about this virtual environment that we're yeah. all operating in, yes. right? Yes. What complexities and challenges has that brought to leadership development that you've seen? Well, I think there can certainly be a breakdown in communication. And that's why I think, especially in this first virtual environment, having regular one-on-ones with individuals on your team, or even if you have a cross-functional team, whenever possible is important, because you can be in a virtual environment and they may have home distractions going on. And you wanna be sure that everybody's clear and understanding. And that's why communication, communication, communication becomes so critical in the virtual environment. Mm -hmm. No question, but boy, we struggle with it, don't we? Yes. Either in person or virtually. Yeah. And especially, you know, that we all know what assume means. And mm -hmm. one of the things, if you look, you know, there are leaders who think they say it once and everybody's got whatever the point is, whatever the issue is, whatever the challenge or the change is. And that's not true because people have to have emotional buy-ins too. It's not just about intellectual, but it's also emotional buy-in to the teams that they're on and what the teams are doing and where they're headed. Mm -hmm. Karen, what you say makes total sense. Why is it so difficult for us as leaders to, to make it happen? because you know, leaders are busy. And one of the things over the years as a coach that I realized the, the gift of coaching to a leader is they stop for a period of time over a consistent period of time and really get to think about what are they doing it? How are they doing it? And how effective are they? So it really gives them an opportunity to slow down because we are in such a fast paced environment and some organizations move at warp speed. So that coaching aspect can really be critical for understanding what are you doing and what do you need to shift or what do you need to continue doing to be effective as a leader? Mm -hmm. And Karen, you've built a, a very successful practice on leadership development and coaching. What's a typical coaching session for, there may be listeners that have never had a coach before uh, from a leadership standpoint. What would a typical coaching session be uh, with you? Well, it, it, that's kind of an interesting question, Bob, because they're all different, but I'll give you an example. Prior mm -hmm. to our call today, I am working with a leader um, in a manufacturing organization and they are trying, they have really slowed down to think about one, kinds of conversations that they're having that, with the individuals that report to them, but also they're getting ready to implement some big changes in their organization. And so it's it's looking at it, it's looking at how do we do this? How do we do it in a way with, that's smart? And then how do we begin to have conversations with individuals to really bring them along and help them understand? Now, as you know, Bob, I am a big question person. Ask open-ended questions. 
find out their understanding, find out what they know before you as a leader launch into your plan. Because I think if people are forced to stop, not forced, that's not a good good, good use of word, but if, <laughs> but if they stop and think about it themselves and have to answer these open-ended questions, oftentimes they'll get to where the leader wants to go without the leader ever having to tell them. Um, but so those are a couple ideas. I also wanted to recommend a book real quick that I think anybody who works with any kind of team, it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And everybody I coach um, has to read that book because it's so powerful, his principle. And, and the fun thing about the book, it's an easy read. The first part is a fictitious company. And the last part is how do you incorporate his five principles into your team and your organization? Is there one example you could draw from the book that comes to mind, Karen? Sure. Um, there is an assessment in the book, and I worked with the team who each of them took the assessment, and it looks at, you know, trust, it looks at managing conflict, it looks at commitment, accountability, and results. And so what ended up happening with that assessment is they really did a deeper dive into the areas and which were the areas that maybe the team was lacking in. Because you need trust to be able to manage conflict. You've got to have commitment in order to be accountable to each other and then ultimate is the result. So they really worked and they focused their energy on the area I believe it was trust now that I'm thinking about that they really needed to build trust amongst the team because they weren't always willing to be accountable to each other and say what they needed to say. They tended to dance around conflict and you know, part of every organization is healthy conflict. And so it really helped them focus as a team where they wanted to continue to grow. That, that's a great example. And, and that's the next uh, item I wanted to jump in with you is that it, you mentioned at the beginning, conflict resolution, mm -hmm. always a challenge for leaders and individuals. What are your thoughts, techniques, ideas around conflict resolution for leaders? Well, I really think um, it, it's kind of, it's scary. If you don't like conflict and all of a sudden you're in a situation where you either have to facilitate between employees or have one of those uncomfortable conflict with an employee, it's uncomfortable and just know it's going to be uncomfortable. But think about, you know, prepare for it. Number one, prepare. What questions do you want to ask? And it's really important to go into those conversations and put your agenda and ego on the side. If you go into a conflict resolution, be it you're facilitating two workers or more, be it you're having that conversation with your own agenda and ego, trust me, I've done enough mediation in organizations, you're not going to stay open to hearing what they really have to say. And one of the marvelous things, because I love uh, conflict resolution, one of the marvelous things about it is people are changed by the conversations if they're really listening to one another. The other thing is to come out with a plan of action. How are we together gonna address these issues that have occurred? And then when are we gonna follow up together just to see how we're doing on the process? And I do want you to know, I have done virtual conflict resolution. So it can work and it can be successful. So I wanna throw that in. <laughs> wow. It does work. 
<laughs> Although I could never be a part of it, but I sure would like to be a fly on the wall to yeah. see that happening, right? <laughs> really? I thought uh, it would be much more challenging than it was, but it just flowed with the process because I have this very specific process I use. So it just worked. And you, you also um, made an interesting comment too, too about follow-up. This is not just a point in time situation, is it? Mm -mm. No, that you really do have to follow up. And I think with any kind of conversation, whether it's a difficult, whether it's a performance, always that follow-up, checking back in with those, that individual or individuals and saying, where are you with this? What thoughts have you had? And that kind of thing are so critical, Bob. It certainly sounds that way. And, and it's interesting too, is how do you get the parties to the table, Karen? I'm kind of reverting back to the very beginning, but how do you get the parties to the table to even recognize that conflict exists? Well, I have to tell you a great example. So one of the things I do before I facilitate a conflict conversation is I go in and I interview the individuals. And there are times when the organization, in fact, probably dictates hey, we're bringing in a third party because we got to get this resolved. It's impacting our productivity, our teamwork, all of those kind of things. So I went in to interview the manager. It was a manager and one of his employees. And the manager, he was a leader in the organization. And the manager said to me, I don't know what you're doing here. They should just write this person up and start the process of getting rid of him. And, you know, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, really, um, and I'm sitting there and of course I can't react to anything. And all I say is, I understand that. I hear that that's where you are right now. We continued with the interview. I went through the process. We brought the two in individuals together. Now, this conflict had been going on like 12 years and nobody had ever addressed it directly. So we ended up having two half days having the conversation come out, coming out with the memorandum of under, uh, agreement and they were able to work together. It was, it was quite a shift, but there are times when people are resistant. And what I can't do is I have to honor them as a facilitator where they are in their resistance, not hit up against it. And that's what made the difference. I just listened to him and allowed him to say what he needed to say to me without any judgment. Mm -hmm. And, and, Karen, you mentioned a, a, a term there, facilitator. A lot of our customer experience professionals find themselves in a facilitator role across departments. And the reason I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit more about conflict resolution in our conversation today was because that's a big part of what customer experience leaders need to do in an organization. Sometimes they report to one organization and, and have to um, call another one on the carpet or, you know, address issues that they're having. So oftentimes CX professionals find themselves as facilitators, certainly trying to resolve conflicts and they can really feel in the middle a lot of times. Mm -hmm. uh, how do they deal with that? Okay. Well, first of all, if, especially if between teams or parties, you're called, and I use the word facilitate instead of mediate when I go into organizations, because I think mediate is kind of this legal word that has a lot of stuff attached to it. So that's why I go in and present myself as a facilitator. But I think the important thing is knowing it is not your job, particularly when you're facilitating between parties, it's not your job 
to solve their problem. Your job is to keep them talking until they solve their own problem. And what happens is people go in thinking, oh, I have to solve these problems with these two people. No, because first of all, they're probably not going to buy into it it's not going to solve the conflict. So you have to not only flush it out in their conversation, ask a lot of good questions, give them the chance to each go separately or who was ever involved, and then allow them to work toward resolution. That is not your job. And that's one of the first thing I tell individuals when I go in to facilitate. It's not my job to resolve these. What I'm here to do is help you have a conversation so you can resolve it on your own together with me. Well, that, that's a real aha moment for me, and I bet a lot of our listeners, because as CX individuals leading customer experience strategy and design at organizations, we want to solve everything because yeah. we know our customer is at the other end wanting us to solve these things. And, and that approach certainly sounds like a recipe for success by switching our perspectives and our, and our thought processes. And the other thing that comes out of that or needs to come out of it is what's called an MOU or a Memorandum of Understanding. And that is a behavior-based document, Bob, that says, you know, let's say communication is their, one of their big issues. You know, okay, so this is communication. This is what I'm going to do to improve the communication. This is what, you know, and together we decide what we're both going to do to improve the communication. So there's always that balance between making sure that one person is not giving more than the other person. And that's part of what you have to do as a facilitator is to keep it balanced. That makes so much sense. And, and, what I find interesting, at least in my experience, too, has been that, um, although not necessarily conflict resolution, but I find a lot of departments don't have um, memorandums of understanding of how they interact with one another that right. could avoid the conflict in the beginning. I've always pointed as operating mechanisms, but uh, I love your term of a, a, you know, a memorandum of understanding that departments ought to take some time and say, what are our mutual expectations and how can we um, meet those expectations of departments to avoid the conflict? So thank you for saying that, Bob, because it just triggered another thought I had, which is about developing a team charter. And a team charter not only has your purpose, your goals, your mission, your values, and all of that, but it's how are we going to interact as team members? What are our operating principles? What are our guidelines? So creating a team charter helps together as a team with everybody buying in and then signing off on it can really help. Uh, you talked about earlier, you know, how do you make sure everybody stays in communication, but it's a great way, a great basis for a team to really be clear about what, why they're doing what they're doing, why they are created. Yet another great nugget from Karen Black in terms of team development, coaching, conflict resolution, some, some great techniques and comments by Karen today. As we wrap up, Karen, would you um, please let our listeners know how they might be able to get in touch with you uh, or other resources that you'd like to share? Well, they can definitely get in touch with me by email, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, hyphen edge, E-D-G-E dot com. And then my website is www.insight-edge.com. Or you can call me, 816-405-1750. Now, granted, that's a Kansas City number, but I'm now 
currently reside in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's great. Thanks for sharing those contact details with us. And thanks for joining us for this uh, episode of All Things Considered CX with Karen Black on leadership development, coaching and conflict resolution for CX professionals. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks and and continue to listen to our podcast series as we have more great guests scheduled just like Karen in the near future. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.